Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Everyone, good morning at Westside as well. A uh, huge welcome, and to Battersea, uh, Viv's at Westside uh, this morning. I think, I think she's at Westside. Uh, yes, yeah, she is. She's at Westside. Um, and a huge welcome. How, welcome to uh, the family. Welcome to uh, this church. Uh, we were a, church, a simple vision, really, to see God, to join God in his transformation business. And we get to meet together every, every Sunday and in our homes. And so just a huge, huge welcome. For those of you who don't know me or know anything about me, uh, I have a tendency to be a bit pessimistic and to be a intros- bit more introspective. So I'm trying to find a bit more joy in my life. So uh, last week I went to Ronnie Scott's and had a dance. Um, and one of my favorite activities to do is to read and watch dad jokes. And so, because I'm trying to get a bit more joy in my life. And so, this is for you, Peter, at Westside. Uh, This is just for you. There are three types of people in the world, right? Those who are good at maths and those who aren't. (laughs) You like that one? Uh, I saw, I read about a documentary about how ships are put together. It was riveting. Like that one. Okay, last one. Um, I love reading reading about pastors. And uh, I read about a pastor who was driving back from a conference. And he gets stopped speeding on the M25. The officer smells alcohol uh, through through the window on, on the pastor's breath. And then he sees an empty bottle of wine on the floor. And the officer says, sir, have you been drinking? And uh, the pastor says, oh, no, 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 it's just water. (laughs) Having none of this, the officer just asks very, very slowly and deliberately, then why do I smell wine? Uh, Without so much of a blink of an eye, the pastor looks down at the bottle, looks at the the officer and exclaims, good Lord, he's done it again. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> I've got a few, I had a few of those, but uh, we've only got so much time. We're now, we're now on our third week looking at signposts to Jesus. We've been studying and we're going to be studying these seven signs in John Uh, that are included in the gospel account. John includes seven, these seven, because each of these reveals something important about the identity, about the message, and about the mission of Jesus. Uh, That's why we're taking our time to do this. Uh, Two weeks ago, Mike started it off with the first sign in John, where Jesus turned water into wine in John chapter 2. Uh, Jesus saves a wedding, doesn't he? He saves a wedding from complete disaster, complete embarrassment for the bride and the groom. And the only people that knew were Mary, the disciples, and his servants. 
they only really they were the only ones that really knew what happened. And then last week we moved on to John chapter four, the second sign where the royal official comes to Jesus looking for a miracle, and he, he cries out to Jesus, my son is dying, will you heal him? The, the officer wants to see signs and wonders, but Jesus, he has this other plan. Uh, what I love about this second sign is there's no huge production, there's no hype, it's just Jesus demonstrating the kingdom, and the man, the, the officer, put in his trust in Jesus. And John Uh, 20 verse 30 is sort of our theme verse. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in the book. But these, do you remember, these are signs. These are written so that you and I may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that's why we're doing this. It's a fantastic, fantastic series. What I want to do today is open up our Bibles to John chapter 5. Open up your Bibles, open up your app, search for John chapter 5. We're going to be looking for the, at the third sign. Listen, if you don't own a Bible, uh, there's some at the back at all of our sites. There's some at the back. Uh, just take a Bible with our, our compliments. It's life-changing. The Scriptures are life-changing. And so we're going to be starting at uh, John chapter 5, verse 1. Let's go. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had, that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I've no one to help me get in the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once, that man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders asked the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow? Who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The man who was healed had no idea. Can you imagine? I have no idea. Actually, I I forgot to ask. I've got no idea, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Verse 14, later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus. Oh, it was Jesus. Oh, let me, I've, I've forgotten his name, but it's Jesus. It was Jesus who made him well. This is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true. And it was given to you and me in love. As, as I've studied the healings in the Gospels, uh, I have a bunch of questions for the Lord. Um, why these ones? Why these healings? 
uh, theologians, mathematicians estimate that Jesus would have performed miracles. He would have healed well over 100,000 people. He could have given us any number. As I've gone to God, I've gone, why these? Why these 37? There's around 37. Why these? I've even said to God, why didn't you make it 40? That would have been much more biblical. (laughs) Why why is it 37? But we know that through demonstrating the breaking in of the kingdom, through Jesus, I want to propose, God wanted to highlight these 37 These 37 healings, these miracles, these signs, these deliverances, these, and particularly in John's gospel, these seven signs, because there's something God wanted us to to know about Jesus. There's something that he wanted us to ponder about. So, this is not just about healing. This is not just, get healed, and off you go. This is more than just healing. And I want us to look at the, the things behind the physical healing. Here's the main idea. Uh, here's the, the idea that I want to develop this morning. The third sign shows that Jesus is the Son of God who speaks and acts for God in order to make people whole. We're going to come back to this uh, a little bit later. Let, let's dive in, shall we? Let's dive in a bit deeper. Jesus is in Jerusalem here. The city is buzzing with activities. The atmosphere is electric. Uh, Can you imagine Leicester Square on a Saturday night? It's electric. Jesus is in Jerusalem in this holy city. It's festival time as well. There are thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people in the old city. People are everywhere. And Jesus is here. He's in Jerusalem. But he's not at the temple. He's not where everyone, everyone's going for this religious festival. He's not at the center of the festivals. Let me tell you where he is. He's at the Sheep Gate. Now, the Sheep Gate is located... I don't know if we've got the map. Have we got the map? Awesome. There's the map. Good luck in seeing, seeing that. Apologies. We haven't got a massive screen. West side, you'll be able to see it because you've got a huge screen. Uh, let me just tell you about this. The, uh, the Sheep Gate is located sort of in the northeast of Jerusalem. It's outside the city, the old city walls. It's where the sheep are brought to, uh, brought, were brought for the sacrifices. And you can, I'm saying you can see it. You can see on the top right, you can see the Bethesda pool. And uh, can you see on the bottom, bottom right... Can you see that mount of offense? Can you see that? Now, I spent far too long researching what the mount of offense was. I think my conclusion was that I think many of us have been there. <laughs> I think many of us have been there. But Jesus is here. He's at the pool. He's at the pool of Bethesda. And there's this legend. There's this legend of the people there, from time to time, an angel would come down. And it's purely a legend. And the angel would stir up the waters. And the first one to get in the pool, uh, through those disturbances, would get cured, would get instantly cured. So you can imagine the scene. Invalids are everywhere. All types of uh, illnesses, sickness, people. 
all kinds of people constantly hanging around the pool. And every time the waters were stirred, my best hunch is it's probably there's a spring below that is causing the the waters to stir. But every time the waters are stirring, there'd be a mad dash uh, to get first, to, to be the first one in the pool. And this word Bethesda, it actually means, the pool of Bethesda actually means house of mercy. But I, I want to propose it should have been called house of merit. Because even if those waters could heal people, which they obviously can't, it's only those that were strong enough or quick enough could get to the waters quickly and be healed. The neediest amongst the people could never be healed. And so here we have Jesus. He's, he's not in the temple. He's not where the crowds are going. He's there with the people. He's there with the people with the diseases and disabilities. They're all gathered around there. And um, I just think this is a, for me, and as a kind of a reflection of, of us, this is the picture of many people in the world today. I think it's a condition where people's spiritual conditions are. They're helpless, they're sin damaged, they put their faith in some worldview or belief, superstition, even religious tradition. And particularly for us in London, many, many people are putting faith in themselves. And therefore, their spiritual condition can never fully be healed. Their, full, their spiritual condition can never be made whole. Um, I remember my, my boy, Sam, when he was young, he, um, he had this idea that God could heal people. But he also wanted a mobility scooter. You know those, you know those ones that drive around? And he had this idea that um, oh, if we pray for someone in a mobility scooter and they got healed, I would get it. <laughs> he had this, had this idea that he would go to school in his mobility scooter. And so I challenged him. I said, every time we see someone in a mobility scooter, let's offer to pray for them. And so we did. <laughs> And he got a bit annoyed with me because I would, I would go up to those people and say, Hi, um, I'm Steve. This is my boy, Sam. This is going to sound a bit weird, but we follow Jesus. And we believe that Jesus loves you and can heal you. Is there anything you'd like prayer for? And we must have prayed for maybe 10 people, half a dozen, 10 people. None of them wanted to get out of their mobility scooter. <laughs> They were all, can you pray for my headache? Can you pray for my sister? Can you pray for the walls going on? And Sam would kind of go, why didn't they get out? Why, why didn't they want to get out of their mobility scooter? But selfishly, why I want a mobility scooter. <laughs> so, let's segue back to the, the text. But Jesus asked this man a random question. He says, do you want to be healed? It's a bit random. Of course he wants to be healed. He's been there 38 years. That's why he's there, Jesus. Why would Jesus even ask that? Why would Jesus say, do you want to be healed? Of course. Of course he wants to be healed. First, and this is the crux of this talk, we need to keep in mind that whenever Jesus asks a question, he isn't doing it to obtain information. 
He knows. He's, he's God and man. He's God in the flesh. He already knows the answer to that question. Most of the time, Jesus, whenever, through the Gospels, whenever you see Jesus asking a question, he's trying to get the other person to think about aspects of their life, his life, her life, that maybe they haven't considered before. And I think this is what Jesus is doing here. Do you want to be healed? Because uh, this is the question that's the key to understanding this sign. And so I want to take a few minutes to go a bit deeper into this question. Now, I'm going to teach you some Greek. Uh, many of you here are thinking, Steve, you barely know English. How, how are you going to teach us Greek? But because this, the Greek context here is everything that I'm trying to propose. And so on the next slide, we've got the, the Greek word, do you want to be healed? Con sorry, in the Greek, there are these three words. Do you want theo? It's this means, are you willing? Are you willing to be committed? And this is much stronger than just a desire. It's, it is to be entirely willing and be committed to take action. Action that's required to do something. The next one, do you, uh, do you want to be? So to this word to be, ginamai, ginamai. It means to become, to come into being. And this Greek word is related to the word which we get our English word, Genesis. It's this new beginning. It's this new start. So you're starting to get the idea. Are you willing to have a new start? And this last word, healed. Uh, this uh, uh, hugies. Uh, this is more than just a kind of a physical health. So this this sign here is more. It's less about the physical healing, but more about this healthy, sound, whole. And this Greek phrase: Are you willing to become whole? This is where we want to head on today. Are you willing to become whole? Over the last few weeks, uh, Jesus, as I've been preparing this, Jesus has been shining a mirror. Of put, not shining, he's literally put this mirror in front of me. Steve, are you willing to become whole? And it's closely related to this concept, this Hebrew concept of shalom. This word shalom is powerful. This Hebrew word shalom, it's, 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 it is becoming and it's going into being about who, who God intended you to be. This word shalom is much more than peace. It's much closely linked to, to this question. Are you willing to become whole? And throughout the Bible, God paints the picture of uh, the now and the not yet, where we are. And he's inviting us to experience this living shalom, this peace, this wholeness. Uh, in Isaiah 26, it says, people with their minds set on you, you, com you completely whole. John 10.10 10 says, Jesus says, I have come to give you life and life to the full. 1 Peter 1 8, though you have seen him, this idea of the now not, though you've, though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with, with inexpressible and glorious joy. Another one, Ephesians 3, may you experience the love of Christ. 
though it is too great to fully understand, then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Uh, And I got a couple from Ephesians. We did a fantastic series on Ephesians. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it is, I know I've said that one. Ephesians 1.19, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So this idea of shalom is where you are and God wants us to come into this whole presence. And Jesus here is asking the man, is he willing to do what it takes to be reborn? Is he willing to do what it takes to become whole? In this idea, is he willing to do what it takes to be who God intended him to be? And he's asking you, and he's asking me that same question. Are you willing to become who God intended you to be? Okay, back to the text. So Jesus asked asked him this question, this random question. The man doesn't answer Jesus, does he? Instead, he begins to make excuses. He apparently doesn't even consider the possibility that Jesus can make him whole. So he he replies to him. He says, I'm alone. I'm all alone. No one is here to help carry uh, me down to the water when it begins to stir. So someone always beats him to the water. Can you hear the excuses? Can you hear it? And I'm afraid that I am, and I imagine there's a few other people here, that we're more like this man that we would care to admit. Anyone else make excuses for not becoming whole? Thank you. We've got one person here at Ballum. Thank you. (laughs) I definitely, I definitely get the sense here that he really wasn't sure he wanted to become whole because of what it would mean to become whole. What did it mean to have this whole sense of new responsibility? My own guess is that he might not be able to sit around and beg, but he'd have to get a job. Maybe he could no longer blame others for his sickness, his unforgiveness, his shame, and his pain. And this is where, when I was, when I was writing this, Jesus was putting this mirror right up to me saying, Steve, maybe you can no longer blame others for your sickness, your unforgiveness, your shame, your pain. Or maybe he would just have to quit sinning, and I'll come back to this idea. But nevertheless, this sign is certainly a picture of what Jesus can do for us spiritually. And as, as I said earlier, there are many, many people that are unwilling to do what it takes to be healed spiritually, to be healed, to come into that wholeness. That they don't want that responsibility of what that, that decision towards Jesus would mean for them. They're not willing to have someone else uh, be, their, be their operating system. And often, they're not unwilling to let the sin in their life go because that's more important to them than being made whole. So, my last point. It's also clear, and this is some of the spark in Jesus' eyes, 
that he, he, is he, he intentionally healed this man on the Sabbath because he wanted to provoke and he wanted to precipitate a confrontation. He wanted to increase the likelihood of a confrontation with the religious leaders. After all, when I, asked, I was asking, God, you could have healed him on Monday. He'd been in this, he'd been in this state for 38 years. What does one more day mean? You ever thought about that? He could, have, he could have waited one more day. Or he could have told the man, oh, pick up your mat tomorrow. <laughs> you ever think about that? This man, that way, this man and Jesus wouldn't have violated the Jewish leaders, the laws that the Jewish leaders had. But Jesus provokes a confrontation. Uh, because he wants to demonstrate that religion and religious traditions and the law were all incapable to make anyone whole. It's only him. And I want to propose that's why he did it on the Sabbath, to demonstrate that religion, acts, habits, laws don't make you whole. And you get the response here. The religious leaders are far more concerned that this man is breaking the man-made rules uh, when it comes to the Sabbath because they had taken a single, single law about honoring God on the Sabbath, and they developed about 600, over 600 laws containing what does work mean? What does work mean? And one of the laws was you're not allowed to carry anything on the Sabbath. So the fact that he held a mat on the Sabbath broke one of those or, or maybe multiple laws. And so in the text later on, we see the man in the temple and Jesus finds, finds the man there. And as we see throughout the gospel, the way he treats people with compassion, with mercy, but he never excuses or condones sin, does he? Instead, he says here, sin no more. Sin no more. Which again, for me, is another indication that this man needs much more than physical healing. He needs to be healed spiritually. So this third sign is that Jesus is the Son of God who speaks in acts uh, for God in order to make people whole. That's great, Steve. Thanks so much. But what's this got to do with me? What, what's this got to do with me? That, that, was, that was awesome. I've learned maybe one or two things. What's this got to do with my life? Um, the, there was a, a study... Uh, a Pew study that, that found that 58 of evangelical Christians believe that we're saved both by Jesus and by works. 58% of evangelical Christians. So in a room like this, it's probably all of you guys believe we're saved by Jesus and by works. Interesting. We're not saved by Jesus and good works. We're saved for good works. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And it's very possible that some of you, even though some of you here, you've committed your life to Jesus, you follow Jesus, we still get caught up in religion and trying to be good for God in order to earn our salvation. We don't earn favor with God. But rather... 
out of our gratitude. A bit uh, earlier here at Mike, uh, earlier here, Mike was talking about tithing. And, and the reason why we give to God is because he's generous to us. And it's the same with good works. The reason why we do good works is because God has, has given us so much grace and so much mercy. I remember a friend of mine, uh, he listened to the brilliant book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Has anyone heard about that, read that? Brilliant, brilliant book. He discovered, he discovered The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry on Audible and listened to it on double speed. <laughs> <laughs> The ruthless elimination of hurry on double speed. I laughed out loud. <laughs> but we feel like this sometimes. If I just do more, then God will look at us, look at me differently. And Jesus is saying, I've got something great for you. You can't earn it. Yes, yes, I know Jesus, but uh, I just want to get myself into the pool. Let me do it on my own. Let me pick up my own mat. Let me just achieve some things for you. I've kept all the rules today. Surely I've, I've added some more merits in the slot machine. Uh, I don't break the Sabbath, Jesus. I'm quite a nice person. I brought, I brought a homeless person to drink the other day. Surely this counts. Maybe if I, I double up on my quiet time, you know, I'm doing 19 quiet times this week. I'm just going to double up on that. Maybe I'll, I'll earn some merits in your eyes. I'll let, Steve's given me a great idea about podcasts. I can listen to them on double speed now. I can read all the Christian books. And Jesus, he's looking at us and he's been looking at me and he's been looking at you today. And he's saying, I've got something so much better for you. So much more freeing. And it's called my grace. Let me tell you about my grace. Jesus is saying to you. Jesus came to the house of mercy. To demonstrate that he is the only one. That we can get mercy from. It's not through our merits. It's only through his mercy. Only through his mercy. just marinating that a little bit it's only because of God's mercy his mercies are new every morning and every afternoon they're new they're new for you and I oh, I, I love Jesus so much and Jesus, he loved this man so much that without being asked, that the first sign, uh, changing water into wine, people were asking him, Jesus, can you change this water into wine? The second sign, the man comes to him, Jesus, can you do something? Here we see this shift in Jesus' ministry where he, he cares enough to heal. He didn't need anyone to, to ask him. He cares enough to heal. And that's the way God operates today for you and I. He knows everything about you. And I wish I could, at West Side, look at me. Battersea people, look at me now. And I wish I could go eyeball to eyeball as I'm doing here at, at Balaam. It's because of the Lord's great mercy. And Jesus cares so much for you and I. 
that he's willing to, to intervene. He's not in the religion. He doesn't go to the temple courts. He goes to where the people are sick to intervene. He cares and he initiates. He bends down and seeks out men and women, boys and girls, who don't deserve or even ask for his mercy. He offers them this opportunity to be new, creation, new creatures. Do you want to be made whole? He's saying that to you again. Uh, Hippocrates, I'm almost finished. Hippocrates, uh, the um, father of med medicine, father of medicine, he says this, before you heal someone, ask him, ask her, if he's willing to give up the things that make him sick. Ouch. Before you heal someone, ask him if he's willing to give up the things that make him sick. So as we close, are you willing to become whole? Like, like the man here, maybe the question's obvious. Of course. Let me just give you three things. For any transformation conversation to be had, we must look at where the current reality is in our life. We also must look at where the vision, where God is leading you to. This middle ground here, this space in between, uh, are the questions that we've got to ask. In order for Jesus to make me whole, or make you whole, I put it in my words because um, Jesus was asking me this. In order for Jesus to, let me, to make me whole, I must, number one, decide if I'm willing to be changed. I think there's a slide. Number one, decide, am I willing to be changed? Notice, I say, do you want to be changed? Am I willing to be changed? Are you willing to do whatever action is required to, to help him change you? That means you can't hold anything in your life that is more important to Jesus, especially any sin in your life. If there's some sin in your life that's more important than Jesus, he's not able to make you whole. Number two. This is, this is a really tough one for me. Um, I, can, I can easily blame others for not wanting this shalom. I can say it's other people's fault. I can make excuses. I have trauma, I have PTSD caused by other people. I find it easy to blame others in order for me not to move on in my walk with Jesus. And so the mirror that Jesus has been facing me this, these last few weeks, I'm going to have to stop, stop making excuses. I can't blame other people. And some of us, we need to take ownership of the bad decisions that we've made in our lives that have caused pain uh, and hurt to you and to others. We have to take ownership. You see, Viv has had to cope with the shame that I live with. And uh, she's been incredible. She kept loving me during my healing and during my recovery. She's been amazing. But we have to take ownership of the excuses of blaming others for our, for our own lack of recovery. Number two, 
number three. <laughs> Maybe Jesus wants to highlight something. Number three. <laughs> this morning, we have to take action. If you want Jesus to make you whole, it requires more than just in good intentions and words. We can make some statements. We can, we can hype things up. We can go, here's an Oprah Winfrey you have a house, you have a house. We can make these statements, but without action, they're just hyperboles. They're just up in the air. They're just fake. We have to take action. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus and you never committed your life to Jesus, then today you you need to begin this journey of being made whole. And this important decision requires an action. And as for, for us as followers of Jesus, we, we hear this word repentance. We all have to take this word repentance seriously. The word repent, its root word, simply means to do an about turn. It means we confess to God that we've been doing this way. This is the way that we've been going. We have to confess it to God and take action. I've been following this way, but I want to follow the way of Jesus now. I want to stop doing these things and do an about turn and follow these things. Even if you're a disciple of Jesus, we have to repent at times. And uh, today might be a day where you, there's a kind of a, a shock. Do you want to be made whole? One of the first steps, we have to take action and repent. We can't keep hanging on to some sin in our lives. We have to. We have to follow the way of Jesus. And this is the great news. This is good news. Because Jesus uh, wants to do so much in your life. And wholeness and shalom, the peace, the mercy that we're all craving, the freedom from our past, our sin, our shame, the compost heap of our our past. Jesus is the one that can, can free us and ultimately make us whole. And here's some good news. The fact that you're here, the fact that you're joining us today, whether you're here at Westside Battersea, watching us online, whether you're listening to the podcast, I hope on single speed, the fact that you're here, you're pursuing him. You are pursuing him. That's evidence of you. you're here today. But don't miss this opportunity to, make, to allow Jesus to make you whole. I guarantee you won't regret it. Let me pray. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers. 